you like a little classical stuff here this time, you know, after all, beginning of the week and all that stuff, you, everybody's nervous, and uh, it's not easy to face it. It's like Andy Cap. I have to admit I'm an Andy Cap fan. Are you an Andy Cap fan? Sometimes. Well, that's right, sometimes. Well, that's the way with humor. Uh, you can't, you can't, uh, you can make no definite uh, sweeping statements. You either do or you don't, and... Uh, Sometimes you miss, sometimes you hit. But I'll tell you this. There's a lot in Andy Kep that, uh, that uh, you know, they always, they always credit uh, Charles uh, Schultz, the guy that does Peanuts, you know, great philosophy and all that stuff. And I find his philosophy about as deep as, say, uh, <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, you know. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, here's, here's a typical example of, of Andy Kep, the curious Curious inverted. This is the kind of this is the kind of thinking that that created, say, the English playwrights like John Osborne. Remember, after all, the guy that does Andy Cap is English, and it's so Andy standing there talking to a guy, and the guy is pointing down to his feet. Did you see this one? He's pointing down to the ground. See, and Andy, if you don't know who Andy Cap is, he's in the he's in the comic strips, and Andy Cap, he's an English strip, and uh, Andy comes from England. Originally appeared in England. And, and Andy Cap, by the way, do you know what his name means? It isn't just a name. Well, it's a Cockney way of saying, well, all right, say, how would you say certain words if you said, in, you know, using Cockney dialect, Andy Cap? What is an Andy Cap? That's right, a handicap. He's a horse player, okay? <laughs> so Andy Cap, Andy Cap is standing there and he's looking down at his feet, and this other guy's pointing down there, see, and he says, now there's a wonderful example for us all, Andy, that tiny ant there. And Andy's looking at the ant, and the guy continues to go on. See, the guy's all dressed up, he's wearing a hat, Andy always wears his cloth cap, and uh, he says, you know, he goes to work every day, busy all his life, work, 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 and as his end, and at the end, Andy cuts in and says, he gets stepped on. At which point, the guy walks away and he says, I'm flogging a dead horse. I'm flogging a dead horse. 
Okay, that's the twist. <laughs> you thought that the guy was giving Andy a lesson in, in morality. And actually, he too was about to say, you get stepped on in the end. And Andy says, he says, well, I'm flogging a dead horse. Andy has discovered it already. And <laughs> now that's the kind of philosophy you'll never find it in, uh, in, uh, in, well, in, in the rather pallid whimsy of uh, Peanuts and his friends. Uh, let's, I, I have to quote uh, Dorothy Parkey. I want to flow up sometimes when you read some of these. But uh, nevertheless, Andy Cap, you know, he says it, man. I mean, after all, you, you work, work, work all your life, and what happens? You get stepped on. That's quite true. Have you ever looked at a guy, looked deep in the eyes of a guy who's, who's retired? A, a retired human being. You know, that's something we rarely talk about. All of us, we're all involved in life. You know, we're all doing all this stuff. We're running around and uh, working and, you know, doing things. Guys are playing their guitars. Other guys are building telephone poles and digging and running around and writing manifestos. And, you know, whatever it is you do, you know. <laughs> And, uh, and and what, one thing we never talk about really is you know what is it, what is it all for you know nobody ever really says anything about that because it's a it's you know it's something it's totally unanswerable but there it is you know man has this fantastic desire to be like the ant he does it you know it's uh, the ant does not ever say what the hell is all this about what is it with the ant here what are we you know <laughs> he just does it see that's the point of uh, of instinct it's the bee you know the bee is out there flopping around. And working 20, you know, a bee works every last day of its life. You know that, that the that the worker bee does not do anything but work. It doesn't do anything else, and it just gets up in the morning, goes out. Well, gets up, it just does it all the time. See, it goes out uh, from the very instant of the morning and starts to do this stuff. See, going around from flower to flower, picking up the jazz, uh, the, the pollen, and then it comes back and they take the pollen off its feet. The other ants do that. See, he doesn't even do that. They, they take the, ant, the pollen off and he goes flying out again. He works like, until one day, this is the truth of ants, one day his wings actually get worn off. His wings are worn off. They literally wear off. And from that minute on, he's a walking bee. And uh, nobody nobody at any point asks him, you know, how come, why, 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 what is it with the bee thing? You know, <laughs> and and so so here, here here's the you know the thing. Uh, nobody ever talks about that point, and so that point of of uh, of what's it all about. And if you've ever looked in the eyes of a guy who's retired, I mean, a guy who's like worked all his life real hard. I'm not not talking about a guy that digs dishes or something, you know, but a guy that that worked in an office or someplace all of his life. Every day he turned in the morning report and. It, 11 o'clock in the morning, he, he got the, uh, the uh, frequency scale charts or whatever it is, all these things, you know, this fantastic stuff he's doing, stamping stuff, and he's working little machines, and he's making phone calls, and he's dictating letters, and he does this all the way through until 6 o'clock every night, you know, he comes in at 9 or something, and he does it five days a week, and half the time he comes in on Saturday, and this goes on for, you know, 228 years. And uh, he's working in this fantastic uh, maze. It's an enormous maze. You know, in fact, give me a little of that scary music, if you will, please. A little scary. I mean, it's just a gigantic maze. Some some mazes don't even have windows to look out of. They're totally hermetically sealed away from the outward atmosphere, out there where the sky and the sun and the birds are. You're sitting at this 
thing, this an endless tape going by. Did you ever see a play by a guy named Elmer Rice called The Adding Machine? Well, that scene opens up. I always thought the opening scene of that is, is a great scene. It opens up on the stage. You see this compartment. And, uh, it's a compartment, really. Just a, and you don't know what it is. It's just like a square block compartment. And in the, this block is a guy. And he's entirely surrounded. It goes all the way up to the ceiling. It's just like piles of it. You can just barely see him. He's surrounded by adding machine tape. And he's endlessly adding these figures. He's going, more tape. And you begin to vaguely get the idea he is in hell. That's where he is. <laughs> and he has, he has been, uh, he has been, uh, this is his thing in hell. He is, he's been condemned to eternally sitting at this machine. <laughs> adding up senseless figures that come in, subtracting senseless figures from that and dividing it all by 12 or something, and then adding a 4% sales surtax to all of that, and then making up a final total, and then more comes in. So he just keeps going endlessly all the time in an enormous pile of tape, higher and higher and higher. Ah! got to admit they don't write plays about that kind of stuff anyway because it's too close to the truth <laughs> and and this play was written a long time ago as far as i know i've you know it was written many years keep that up there we need that man because that's scary stuff and if you've ever looked into the eyes the real deep eyes beyond you know beyond the outward glow the really deep eyes of a guy who's retired after 400 years of of uh, swatting flies at the International Fly Swatter Company or whatever it is he did. <laughs> he can't. He's got a look in the eye of, of a curious, a, a kind of uh, puzzled, infinite sadness. So what the hell was it? You know, he can't even hardly remember doing it anymore. Uh, in fact, I, I talked to a guy who, uh, who was a, uh, a school teacher here in New York City. And he'd been a school teacher like for 30 years, see? And uh, now he's, he's retired. He's not doing this anymore. It's completely gone. It's all over. It's, it's like uh, it was another word. In fact, it was almost like he'd visited Oz. And I said to him, I said, please, you know, tell me some of the stuff that happened to you. He said, I can hardly remember it. This is like my life was gone like in a minute. He says, and what's worse... It also seemed like it went on forever. He said, I can't, t I can't figure it out whether it went over in, in a minute. Like I, he says, it just seemed like yesterday that I started this, this endless thing that I was doing. And then it seemed like I was doing it forever. And now I can hardly remember ever doing it. I said, well, what's it all about then, Phil? He looked at me and he says, damn if I know. I says, did you teach him anything? I don't know. I said, what do you remember? I said, yeah, I remember one time getting in his fight with his kid. I said, what do you remember out of 112 years of teaching? I said, I suppose if I really sat down and thought about it, I'd remember some other stuff. I said, but that's 112 years of your life. You think you'd have... You know, crowding, uh, 
an endless uh, stream of memories. Snow. I forgot all about it. I said, how do you like being retired? He said, I'll probably forget this too. <laughs> Which takes you a little bit beyond Lucy. And the gospel according to uh, Snoopy. Famous uh, hockey player. Or ball player, or whatever the hell he is this time. <laughs> Look in the eyes. All I can say is half a league. Half a league. Half a league onward, by God. All in the valley of death rode the 600. Forward, the light brigade. Charge for the guns, he said. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Forward, the light brigade. Was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldier knew. Someone had blundered. Someone had blundered. There's not to make reply. There's not to reason why. There's but to do and die. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, cannon in front of them, volleyed and thundered, stormed at with shot and shell, boldly they rode. And well, into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell rode the 600. By the way, I'm dedicating this to anybody who works in the office. There's not the reason why. <laughs> That's why I'm reading this. Flashed all their sabers bare, flashed as they turned in air, sabering the gunners there, charging an army, while all the world wondered, plunged in the battery smoke right through the line they broke. Cossack and Russian reeled from the saber stroke, shattered and sundered. Then they rode back. But not... Not the 600. Cannon to the right of them. Cannon to the left of them. Cannon behind them. Volleyed and thundered. Stormed at with shot and shell. While horse and hero fell. They that had fought so well. Came through the jaws of death. Back from the mouth of hell. All that was left of them. Left of the 600. When can their glory fade? Oh, the wild charge they made. All the world wondered. Honored the charge they made. Honor the light brigade, noble 600. Who the hell were they? Who even remembers what the charge was about? What war was it in? Alfred Lord Tennyson. That's tonight's salute to the ant. That the shoe fits, friend. Yes, this is WOR New York, and we have a very important announcement immediately forthcoming. So stand by, turn up your tape recorders. This is important. The Silver Tongue Devil comes to New Jersey. Yes, Stagger Wing Production presents Gene Shepard live, totally live in concert. <laughs> and this is going to be fantastic to celebrate spring and the anniversary of the great Orpheum Gravy Boat Riot. Me, Gene Shepard, will appear live with the Sinful Street 2 at the Carlton Theater in Red Bank, New Jersey. Red Bank of all places. 
Yes, the Carlton Theater is right in the heart of beautiful downtown Red Bank and easy to reach from the Garden State Parkway. Tickets available through all Ticketron outlets and at the box office, any Ticketron outlet. For information on your nearest Ticketron location, call area code 212-644-4400. That's area code 212-644-4400. Or call the Carlton Box Office in Red Bank, area 201-747-3800. Don't miss it. The Silver Tongue Devil comes to New Jersey. If you miss this, friends, you're going to be sorry, boy. Get your tickets now. They are limited. When will it be? When will it be? She's got everything in here but the date. Yes, Friday, April the 7th, 8 p.m. Friday, April the 7th, 8 p.m. Oh, that was exciting, huh? All it, that's enough. All it. Hey, we've been looking forward to this one for about a year. I'll have to repeat that date. That's April the 7th, Friday. We have another one here. Da, 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 yes, uh, we have Book Fine Club. Uh, oh, everybody knows about the Book Fine Club. You know, when someone says reference book, do you think of a dull, dry book you keep around a house in case somebody asks you to look something up? Well, you know, a reference book can be a lot of fun just to read. And they've got one. They'd like to send it out to you for just $1 plus postage and handling. It's called Atlantic Brief Lives, which is regularly 15 bucks, And it is a gas of a book, really. And uh, they'll send it out to you if you join the club. And uh, all you have to do is call OX71535. Now, this is a book fine club. You know, they, they have all best type reading around. And, and uh, a lot of stuff you won't even be able to get in your local bookstore, which I have found out to my sorrow is so true. Uh, so uh, you also save on these things, too. And all you have to do is to buy two books a year or more, of course, over a year's time, and you remain in the club. If you'd like to find out about the club, call them at OX71535. OX71535, right? Let's see. All right, attention, fellow victims. I want you to listen carefully to this. For the next eight weeks, eight weeks, I am going to be talking a lot about a country that, uh, well, for at least two or three years, has been absolutely my favorite country in Europe, and I'm not kidding. All right, Herb, please, let him guess. <laughs> what country is this? Portugal, friends. Wine, lobster, ocean. And I want to tell you, Lisbon, if, you, if you've always had a secret desire to turn into Sydney Green Street, Lisbon is the city to do it in. <laughs> I could even laugh like <laughs> uh, Portugal. Now, here's the story. It is an incredible buy. And I'm, I'm, I'm leveling with you, and I, I can't imagine a more incredible buy than this. You can go on an, on an eight-day fly-and-drive tour. Now, that means a car is waiting for you. They give you the key, and you drive. An eight-day fly-and-drive tour of Portugal for only $270. Think about that, $270. Bucks. And the people of TAP, now that's the Intercontinental Airline of Portugal, have put Portugal on sale until the 30th of April. And if you'd like to be driving along that coast of Portugal with the sun bouncing off that magnificent ocean, 
They've got horses, they've got women, they've got wine, they've got lobsters. All they need is you, man. <laughs> Portugal, $270. Now, these tours include round-trip economy airfare, and the prices are subjected to government approval. That's $270. Call your travel agent or the people of TAP. The number in New York is 421-8500. And the sale ends the 30th of April. And April is the greatest month in Portugal. You know, speaking, uh, you know, that that's that's... That's a fact, you know, some of, the, some, some of the really basic stuff nobody ever talks about in life. It is really true. I'm, I'm talking about basic. People think they're talking about basic stuff when they talk about economic things. You know, they, they do, you know. People talk about basic, you know, they think it's basic when you talk about uh, race problems and that. Now, these are all essential. That's not the same as basic. <laughs> essential is one thing, basic is another. And the basic goes even beyond the essential. And, uh, yeah, you know, if, if you ever really, I guess in the springtime, it's natural. People in the springtime are, are faced by two different things all the time. Uh, who was it who said uh, April is the cruelest month? Who was it who said that? I'll award you a brass fig leaf with a bronze oak leaf palm, and I'll give you a, a clue. It was not Barry Farber. That's a clue. That ought to help you. I mean, you want clues? I'll give you clues. I'll also give you another clue. It was not written by Earl Wilson. Who was it? If he could work bazooms into that, maybe he would have said it, but he didn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> April is the cruelest month. <laughs> Do you know that the highest uh, uh, suicide rate is in April? Which, you know, is of some interest, I presume, to those of you who might be contemplating it. You can join the crowd. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, that's a fact. I'm giving you these macabre, uh, strange, uh, uh, you know, e kind of uh, vaguely evil uh, facts. But when you when you talk about whether you remember anything, you know, actually remember doing a thing, uh, that's that's you're getting into some really profound stuff. Uh, when you look back on your life, does your life seem to be as long as it actually is? In other words, you happen to know how many years you've been alive, right? I presume you know that. Okay. Now, when you look back, you just say to yourself, well, I'm, I'm thinking about my life and I'm looking back. Does it seem to you to be a short life or does it seem a long life? Short, long. Well, that's, that's quite obviously too. It also, because it's the only thing you can remember, so it seems to have gone on forever for you. Before, you know, before your life, there was nothingness. So, uh, when, it, when did it begin, you know? It, when does your memory begin? Does your memory begin the minute you're born? Some say yes. Some say per even before you're born. <laughs> now we're, yeah, there, there, is a, there is a very definite school of thought. They, they call uh, prenatal experience and so on. Yeah, pre-birth. Now, uh, if you sit and, and think about your, your life, I don't care what age you are, if you're only 10... I, I'm submitting here that, you know, for what it's worth, I, I suspect that, uh, that to uh, any person, any time, no matter how old he is or how young he is, his life has seemed to him to be as long and or as short as at any age. 
In other words, a person who is 10, his life seems to him to have been as long as, say, a person whose life is 30. Now, the calendar says, no, that's not so. It was not as long, you know, or, and if you were 30, it was longer. But I'm talking about your perception of life, your memory, your actual perception of life. Does it seem like... See, I think a kid who's 10 thinks he's been around a long time. <laughs> and he has. I mean, he's been around his whole lifetime. I mean, he's been around uh, possibly throughout all infinity. Who knows? Now we're getting into something else. <laughs> Woo! Uh, <laughs> yeah, that can lead you into some real bad scenes. Oh, you know, I don't want to... This, after all, it's the beginning of the week. I don't want to lay this kind of stuff. But uh, just, just, uh, you know, just looking at, at that Andy Cap cartoon where, where he... They're looking at an ant. I'll repeat the cartoon so you get what the whole point of this thing is. Uh, here's Andy, see, uh, standing there, and he's, another guy's talking to him. And Andy Cap is looking down on the ground, and the guy's pointing down the ground. And the guy says to Andy, now there's a wonderful example for us all, Andy, that tiny ant. And then he goes on, he says, goes to work every day, busy all his life, work, 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 and at the end... And then Andy cuts in and says, he gets stepped on. And the guy walks away from Andy and he says, I'm flogging a dead horse. Which means Andy already knew that. <laughs> and he was about to tell him. Now, I wonder whether many people know that, though. It, it, in short, I suspect that, that, uh, that this is one of the reasons why the work ethic is beginning to topple. And it's, uh, you know, it is. It, uh, it's quite obvious that the work ethic is, is in trouble. By that, I mean large numbers of people do not believe in work the way they did years ago, apparently. And I'm, when I say years ago, I'm talking about the 19th century, when obviously the, uh, uh, you could buy whole poems, books of poetry on, on, uh, on uh, work as an ethic. I mean, you know, work, 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 yes, to the, to the man who works well. Well, now, were they right or wrong? Who knows? Uh, it's quite obvious that all of us in our century are are enjoying the benefits of the work of the previous centuries. I mean, so we probably afford to sit back and say, I don't believe in work. Well, because it's all paved. Somebody's killed a saber-toothed tiger. And, you know, everything has been cleared up so we can sit back and put down the work ethic easily. Uh, uh, the guy that puts down the work ethic the quickest is the guy who has been excused from work somewhere along the line, primarily because of economic... Uh, uh, it's the upper affluent types that tend to put down the work ethic because they, they've, you know, they don't need to do it anymore. They've got it. In other words, a squirrel that has a nice little cache of, of, uh, of acorns, you know, he's got maybe 500 acorns stashed away. He can put down the squirrel that's out grubbing for acorns. What is this, silly? You're running around. <laughs> it's silly. You're wasting your life running around looking for acorns. And, of course, he's, he looks back and he's got his acorns. So uh, the thing is, you know, that, that's an oversimplification, but it's part of it. Now, when you, when you talk about the work ethic, though, and the, the, the heroic ethic, and that's another thing that's going down with the same thing, is the heroic epic. Have you noticed there's very few heroic songs coming out of Vietnam or, or anything, uh, you know, about that? Uh, but it would never occur to a poet to write a, a, a thing like Charge of the Light Brigade today, which incidentally was, was a poem about a blunder. You know that. Or, or didn't you really listen to the poem? It's about a blunder. Yes, a lot of people, you know, they, they know the charge of the Light Brigade, but it was a Vietnam of its day. 
In fact, uh, I will, I will, uh, I'll, I'll read it to you again so you should get a little bit of what he's talking about. Listen, half a league, half a league onward, half a league, all in the valley of death rode the 600. Forward, the light brigade, charge for the guns, he said. Who he? Well, whoever ordered it. Charge for the guns, he said. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Forward, the light brigade. The light brigade was one group, you know. Forward, the light brigade. Was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldier knew someone had blundered. Hear that? Was there anyone dismayed? Nope. Even though the soldier knew someone had blundered. Theirs not to make reply. Theirs not to reason why. Theirs but to do and die. Into the valley of death rode the 600. In other words, a fantastic boo-boo. They gave him a dildock of an order. They went galloping forward. <laughs> that was the end of the ball game. <laughs> it was impossible. Cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, cannon in front of them. <laughs> Volleyed and thundered, stormed at with shot and shell. Boldly they rode and well into the jaws of death. Yep, into the mouth of hell rode the 600. Flashed all their sabers bare. They pulled out their sabers flashed as they turned in air, sabering the gunners there, charging an army. This is 600 guys, charging an army. While all the world wondered, plunged in the battery smoke, right through the line they broke. Cossack, Cossack and Russian reeled from the saber stroke, shattered and sundered, then they rode back. But not, not the 600. Well, they didn't come out of it, see? Cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, cannon behind them. Now they're surrounded. Valley, volleyed and thundered, stormed at with shot and shell, while horse and hero fell. That they had fought so well, came through the jaws of death, back from the mouth of hell, all that was left of them, left of 600. When can their glory fade? Oh, the wild charge they made. All the world wondered. Honor the charge they made. Honor the light brigade. Noble 600. Now, that's a poem written to a boo-boo. And it really is. In fact, uh, this, this, uh, uh, this was, is, is, is described, has been described in history as one of the great classic military blunders of all time. Uh, they rode forward. These guys went. Of the 670 men who participated, only 300 survived. Uh, practically decimated, say. And they just rode right out, and they knew it. And it all happened in 20 minutes. <laughs> Bam. Well, now, now that, that, is a, that, a, that is an interesting, uh, interesting thing to read because, you see, that was, uh, you know, that was another time when, when guys were expected to simply, you know, no question. You just do it. And then afterwards, they're kind of honored for the fact that they did. They didn't question, and they didn't, you know, they didn't... Uh, uh, holler about it. They just rode out and got killed. That was the end of it. Well, now, it was assumed by, by the writer, you see, by, by Tennyson, that people would remember this forever. And in a curious way, they did, because they still make movies about the charge of the Light Brigade. There was a movie last year on it, in a curious way. But uh, <laughs> very few people, unless he happens to be an expert in history, know what that charge was about, even where it occurred. Where did it occur? You don't know where it occurred, even. Okay, well, you're getting there. Yeah, where did it occur? Now, now, who was? Of course, the officer. There was a famous officer that was in charge, that ordered this thing. 
And in those days, you could buy your commission that if you were an elegant English gentleman and uh, you wanted to uh, be a colonel of the, uh, you know, the light, second light dragoons, well, you would buy your commission. It was, you know, it was the way it was done in those days. You simply put up the 50, you know, it came to about $50,000 roughly in, in their, you know, the, the money of that time. So the guy could go out and he buys this commission and he's uh, an officer, as simple as that. And a colonel at that. Uh, you could buy lesser commissions, like a lieutenant or a, a captain. But uh, in those days, the commissions were bought and sold, and, the, and you, you bought them from the government. It wasn't a knavery or anything involved. You simply bought a commission from the government, the way we buy a stamp today. <laughs> and you wind up. And also, you could buy your way out. If you were a soldier and uh, you, were, uh, uh, you had been uh, impressed in the service, see, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's a very wild type of draft where they just walk in there's a bunch of guys sitting in a bar they clop them on the head and they take them away and the next thing you know they're, they're foot soldiers in the infantry see well you could buy your way out uh, you, you, if you save up enough money or you have relatives and they could they could come and buy your your, uh, your release from the army so uh, that was a different world <laughs> really a totally different world but the thing that that fascinates me about it is reading Andy Cap there see here's Andy and he's looking down at that that ant See, and he says, uh, yeah, well, what happens after he works all his life? He gets stepped on. That's what. Well, uh, uh, this, is a, this is an interesting philosophy. Uh, and it's really not a philosophy. He's making a statement about life. He's, he doesn't say what he thinks about that. He just states that uh, this is what happens after it's over. Now, there is some truth in this. The point I'm making here is that here with the charge of the Light Brigade, these guys did the, the, an ultimate thing, you see. And very few people ever could even identify who they were, what they did, uh, why it was. They, they know the poem, and they've heard the term Charge of the Light Brigade, but that's about it. And uh, it's hard to, it would have been hard to believe if a guy was alive at that time, you know, a guy that, like Tennyson who wrote this poem, uh, that there would, there would come a time where very few people could even identify what the whole brouhaha was about. And yet, at that time, it was a fantastic scandal. It, it rocked all of uh, the empire, the scandal. It was, just, you know, it was far more of a rocker than, say, Vietnam is with us now. And it's always hard to believe that, uh, that stuff will not be remembered at the time you're there doing it. Now, now how many times have you watched... Fantastic football games. I mean, they're, they're, they're announced as the football game of the century. And you can't even remember who played them. <laughs> you have to really sit and think, well, who was that? Uh, I don't remember. Was it, was it the Giants uh, playing uh, Green Bay? Uh, oh, no, no, it couldn't have been. No, it was, uh, it was uh, Baltimore playing Green Bay. That's right. Uh, who's... Was that Bart? No, Bart. Yeah, Bart Star. In other words, I'm saying here that that at each given moment there's a great crisis that we live through. Fantastic issues are 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 at stake, and uh, people uh, think that for the first time, mankind, and for the only time in recorded history, mankind is facing total annihilation. That the very foundations of our civilization are being threatened by what has occurred in this very room today. And well, they really believe that. And three or four months later, as, as little as that, you can't remember it. And you have to be reminded of it. <laughs> you have to be reminded of it. How many people even remember the, the uh, Korean War? And yet a president was elected on the basis of that war.
I shall go to Korea. This is uh, the, the, the real thing that, that uh, got Eisenhower elected, that particular campaign slogan. And very few people even remember it. And yet it was a great uh, thing at the time. What I'm really saying is that it's hard to believe, but I, I'm firmly convinced that within comparatively a short time, historically, it would be very difficult to even remember much about Vietnam. Do you remember the guys who were all saying, if Goldwater gets elected, I'm leaving the country. All the rednecks out in the Midwest, they're going to elect Goldwater, and I know he's going to... Oh, I, I had a fantastic argument with a guy one night before that election. He was firmly convinced that uh, Goldwater was going to win. And he was about to take off and leave and go to Turkey or someplace. <laughs> and, and today, very few people can even remember that Goldwater ran. Yeah? And uh, so, uh, it's it's uh, of course you're always being a, you're always being a wet blanket if you get up in the middle of a crowd and say you know you guys won't even remember this thing a couple of years from now even a couple of minutes from now <laughs> and it's 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 sadly enough it's true and uh, so in your own life is this way that your life as you go through your life you know uh, you you yeah you go struggling through your life day after day after day and you you meet. Each guy, there's two sides to each man, really. There's the private side and there's the, you might say, the corporate societal side. That's the other side. You know, that's the side where he, he, he's uh, talking about the, uh, elections and he's, he's uh, worrying about the economy. And in other words, that's the, society, the side of society. That's the, that's the group man. And he has alarms in that one. I mean, constant uh, uh, alarms and, and excursions and sirens that go wailing in the night. In that side, he is continually being bombarded by various uh, commentators and that who tell him that we're, we're approaching the end of Western civilization. All that we have known is gone and over. A new age has begun, et cetera, et cetera. And the evil lurks on every corner. Violence. And he, he hears this say. It may never, ever, may never have at any point touched him. He, it actually touched him. Almost everybody who talks about violence has never had any violence committed against them actual violence. They hear about it. They read about it. It's, it's all abstract. See, this is the societal man. You might say the, uh, the media man. <laughs> it's all by communication that he's learned this stuff. Then there's the other side of him, which is the day-by-day the -day real experience man. This is the man that, that goes down to the uh, cleaners and his cleaning ain't back. Uh, this is the guy. This is the guy who gets out in his car. He just bought his new car and he turns it on, and it turns out that the alternator doesn't work. Uh, it's the guy that has the big fight with the chick he knows. It's the guy that uh, has a big argument with his brother-in-law about nothing to do with the society. Occasionally, though, they will mix. You see, but quite often it's only about things like uh, I thought you were going to fix the porch today, and, uh, <laughs> and then so so these two sides are are, are part. They, they run parallel in their lives, and, and most people tend to think that if you don't get involved in the societal one, your life is not relevant. Uh, oh, yes, this is a comment, you know, if you, don't, if you don't talk about things that have to do with the economy, that you're not relevant. Well, there's a moot point, whether you are really only talking about the irrelevant, ultimately, that, because that's the stuff that ultimately is forgotten totally. Uh, great election campaigns that you remember. Uh, are hardly hardly remembered. If you later, you you know you remember it. You know, and and in fact, uh, you read you read things about you read things about great momentous things that happened in our lifetimes, and you have to you have to really strain to actually remember it. 
And it was considered a, a gigantic, uh, uh, epical thing at the time. And it's hard to even remember it. Like, uh, well, for example, how many remember the Sherman Adams scandals? That's right. It rocked the Eisenhower administration. Now, that's not that long ago. I mean, <laughs> in fact, uh, uh, in fact, uh, Mort Saul did a whole, a whole LPs on this stuff. <laughs> it was, and then who remembers, who remembers T. Lamar Caudle? Okay. So, you know, who, you can hardly remember who Bobby Baker was. These are great things on the front page <laughs> at the time. And, and uh, they disappeared like, like uh, you know, like bits of eider down in the night, blown by the wind, gone forever. Uh, who was the guy a, a couple of years back that caused a great excitement over in Jersey? He, yeah, he was in all the newspapers and everything else. There was a guy who was sort of a neo Nazi racist separatist or something, a guy over there. He started a curious kind of a party. Do you remember that a couple of years ago? Well, and he was big deal. He was in the news and everything. His name was John something. It disappeared. I don't even remember. But yet at that time he was on all the shows. He was interviewed on TV. <laughs> I can't even remember the guy. <laughs> yeah, he was right over here in Jersey. Uh, and I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, how many people even remember who George Lincoln Rockwell was? And he was, you know, he was he was a great big issue for a while. Everybody, well, he was on television. They were always talking about him as a thundering danger to the United States. He was going to do this and that, <laughs> you know. And, and you, you hardly ever hear of any of these things anymore. You remember when everybody used to talk about the John Birch Society? It's uh, practically disappeared, you know. Uh, but this, this, uh, all I'm saying is that is that Andy's right, you know, in a way. But uh, nevertheless, uh, the, 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 uh, the issues of, of life, uh, how, whether you remember your life, is very difficult to understand. Very difficult. If you look at a kid, a little kid walking on, like say a five-year-old kid, how long does his life seem to him to have been? That's right. <laughs> well, it seems endless. It has to have seemed endless. Because to him it is endless, you know. He, he can't remember any end to it. And it just went on forever. So, uh, so there's, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of research right now uh, going into studying what actually consists, you know, what is memory? What is memory? Did you ever hear of the, uh, the Brillo pad theory of memory? Uh, yeah, they think of the Brillo pad as a, as a pad. Your, your, memory, your memory is a kind of a, a net, like a pad. And uh, nobody quite knows the composition of it, how, how and why it works. But certain things go in through it and uh, go right on past. You know, a pad, a billow pad is, is, is actually uh, transparent, really. It's, uh, it's, it's porous. Things can go through it. So certain uh, thoughts and ideas just go right on through. They don't even touch. But if one hits, a thought comes in and it touches one of the strands, it sticks to it. And nobody can say why one sticks to it and why another goes. You, re you remember some of the most totally inconsequential things. And some of the important things you can't even remember. Really remember. Like, like for example, the Korean War. It's <laughs> almost completely forgotten. Yet other people remember Bobby Thompson hitting a home run. Which incidentally occurred in the same time. That was, that was during the Korean War. So, uh... 
you know, how many people remember the yellow, who, what was Ted Williams doing at that time? Well, he was flying a fighter plane in Korea. And so they may remember that. Uh, the bridges of Tokori, possibly. But that's it. That's it. A few little faded scraps of memory here and there at a gigantic historical epoch moved on into the darkness. It's the way Andy Cap says it. You know, well, you see, after he works, it works all of his life. What happens to the ant? He gets stepped on. <laughs> Good evening, ants. <laughs> Are you the news in detail on the hour from the WR Newsroom of WR 710 in New York. Lester Smith reporting. Bruckner.